Hey guys, welcome back to Unpopular, live from New York, giving SNL vibes. Yes, I'm finally in America. I'm here for the next three months at the very least, hopefully longer. I think longer. I think it'll be long term, but we will see. So I made it. Sorry, haters. I know a lot of you thought that uh, I was never going to get here because I've been talking about it for the last year. But, you know, these things are a process and a bit of a grind. And I've been grinding and hustling to make it happen. And you guys are still exactly where you were when you were hating on me six months ago. And I'm moving forward. So we love that for me. This is season three of Unpopular. Not that the seasons of the show really have any difference. It's just when I feel like making a new season on the, in their little Apple tab, I do. And I thought, let's have a new little fresh start because it's a new chapter since, you know, I'm over here in another country and who knows what I'll be getting up to and talking about on here. So let's just make it a new season and see how we go. Believe it or not, with all the bad luck that I have with travel and public transport, the flight was actually really good. And everything ran pretty smoothly. It was not a nightmare like the last time I came to America and I lost my phone and it was a fucking crowded, awful flight and LAX was just, you know, pure hell. Everything went pretty well. Um, By the grace of God, I escaped Australia the same weekend that Taylor Swift's Errors Tour came down under, so I didn't have to write about that for work, and I was so thankful. I'd been dreading that for months, because I knew it would just be like all-day back-to-back coverage of anything Taylor Swift does. If Taylor Swift fucking sneezes, like, that would be the top story. And I'm just like, I can't deal with this. And then it all just worked out that I was fleeing the country as she arrived. So that was great. Um, The downside of it was I did have to travel to Melbourne on the same weekend that the tour started playing and you couldn't even get a hotel in town. So I was staying with a friend, which um, the friend actually only offered me to stay like a few days beforehand. So I was a bit disorganized and I'm always like, whatever, I'll just go on booking.com and like get a hotel like the last minute. Sometimes you get them cheaper if you book it like on the day because they're trying to fill the rooms up. And on that weekend in Melbourne, apparently like every hotel in town was like double or triple the price because there were just so many people there for Taylor Swift. So I stayed at my friend's and I caught a train from Aubrey to Melbourne And it was so feral. That was the bad part of the trip. The flight was good. The train was fucking disgusting. It was completely packed full of just bogans left, right, up, down, like popping out of drawers, like a fucking horror movie, you know, bursting through the shower curtain like psycho. Like, it was so disgusting. And, like, when I got on there... And I saw where I was sitting and I was near like rowdy, you know, just rowdy, unkempt youths. And they were playing Aussie hip hop. Now, I love hip hop, but if you know anything about Aussie hip hop, it is truly like the most like white trash, like fucking food stamp music, not even food stamp, like below food stamps. That's the culture of Aussie hip hop. Like it's so bad. And these people were blasting it. 
they were rapping. They were actually two rappers and they weren't even part of the same friend group. This is the kind of crowd I'm talking about that this train attracted. Because even though Melbourne is actually like very cultured and classy, all the little like country towns on the way to Melbourne are disgusting, like Wangaratta and um God, what are the fucking names of the other ones? I don't know. I don't go to them, obviously. Um but yeah, they attract those kinds of people. So there were rappers, junkie rappers, I should say, like literally like Big W shopping, like ice junkie, meth head rappers. And then there was this other guy, I think he was Indian, but he was kind of like, like that Kevin G from um, Mean Girls. And he was uh, writing rap. So he was obviously listening to like beats on his headphones. And then he was like, you know, writing out some rhymes in his little notebook, like he was fucking Eminem in like eight mile. And he was tapping his like feet and like, you know, shaking around in his seat. And this was a packed service. So he was like next to someone and the guy he was next to looked kind of like professional, like more like a businessman. It's like, why are you having a seizure in the seat, writing fucking raps, like, now, like, sure, I know you want to pass time on the train, but, like, you don't need to be, like, flinging yourself around and, you know, like, have your, like, legs shaking to the beat, like, just write it a little bit more discreetly if you're sitting next to someone, like, he was, um, man-spreading, just, like, taking up a lot of space, and I was looking around, and... Look, at first I was a little bit discombobulated because my friend dropped me at the train station and helped me with my bags and we were trying to have, well, she was more than me, trying to kind of have like an emotional goodbye thing, which I would have liked to have been in the moment too. It's like, wow, like, you know, you're going off and I don't know when I'm going to see you again. You know, your life's going to change now. It's, you know, a whole new scene. And I wanted to be in the moment, but just seeing what I was going to have to deal with on the train, like... I didn't really have any emotion. I couldn't, like, soak it in. I was a little all over the place. And then, you know, I'm sitting down and my friend's messaging me, like, you know, good luck. Like, you know, texting me even though she just dropped me off. And I'm just, like, texting her back, like, you will not believe these people on the train. Like, I was freaking out. And then I just said to myself, Shark, this is the last time you'll have to deal with these fucking people. And that kind of made it better. It was like, yep, you know what? Soak it up take a look around, take a look around at this very specific type of Aussie bogan. Look, if you're Australian, you'll understand exactly the type of, like, shopping centre, like, meth head kind of, like, Wu-Tang sort of bogan vibe that I'm talking about. And I was just looking around, I'm like, you'll never have to see it again. This is it. Just, this is it. It's the last time. And that kind of made me feel better. Oh, my God. One of the Bogans was, like, harassing an old lady because, of course, none of them sat in their assigned seats, which is just totally a sign of, like, the collapse of civilization. If, you know, you get – you buy a ticket for something and you have an assigned seat – And then you just sit anywhere you want or you didn't even buy a ticket and you're just on the train, which was the case with a lot of these people. So they think they can just sit anywhere they want while other hardworking people have actually bought a fucking ticket to like sit down and they're expecting like, okay, I'm going to be in seat 3B for three hours as I travel to this destination. You get there and there's some fucking junkie in your chair and then you awkwardly have to tell them to move. So this, you know, older lady got him to move and then he was kind of like verbally abusing her like harassing her a bit 
And I was sort of watching out the corner of my eye and I'm like, okay, let's just, when am I going to have to intervene in this? Because you're tr- sort of like, you, you're thinking it through in your head and it's got to be the right time to intervene because sometimes they'll just knock themselves out. You know, they'll just carry on for a bit and they'll end up leaving, which is what he did. So then it was fine. And you don't want to be intervening then because then it's going to escalate the situation into something that it does, you know, it's going to get physical. But then at the same time, if they start getting that bad, you can't just sit, sit by while the old lady's getting harassed. So I'm sitting there in my fucking seat and I'm thinking, girl, please just let this guy be done with soon so I don't have to like say something and it's just going to become like a fucking drama on the train and just everything. Anyway, most of them ended up moving because none of them were in their seats and this nice, very professional looking Indian family came on. They all looked employed. They looked like they had a nice family unit and they made all of the um, white trash move to a different part of the carriage. So I got to Melbourne late on a Friday night. I stayed at my friend's and (laughs) guys, you will not believe what happened. Okay. So My friend, he's like my old housemate. He works in retail and he's just very organized. Like he's just one of those gays that is always like straightening everything up. And he's kind of like a little bit of a handyman as well. And I'm so the opposite. Like I can't do anything. So when we live together, you know, if I got like furniture or anything that needed assembling or like he would just swoop in and like do it all for me. So it was, you know, worked out pretty well. And he was like, you know, have you locked your luggage? Because I bought these new suitcases. And I was like, I don't know how. I'm like, I think maybe there's like a key inside the suitcase, but I didn't even check. He's like, you can't be traveling international without locking the luggage. So then he jumps on YouTube and he starts looking at like, how how do you lock this luggage? And he figures it out. So he's locking it all up for me. And then there's like this weird sound kind of like, and he's like, (laughs) he was like, something's vibrating. And I'm like, I think it's the air con, because, like, I thought it was. And he's like, no, it's like, he's like, it's from the suitcase. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the Abby Chatfield vibrator. What's that? Okay, so let me explain to you who Abby Chatfield is. So, in Australia, one of the biggest stars, obviously, if you're Australian listening, you know exactly who she is and what I'm talking about, but this, <laughs> this is for all the people outside of Australia – She's one of the biggest celebrities here, and she has been for the last few years. She got famous on The Bachelor. She was like the villain and the runner-up, and then she parlayed it into this huge media career, and she does everything. Like, she's inescapable, okay? She's done radio. She has a huge podcast. She hosts multiple TV shows, influencing... um, live tours like i'm surprised she's not an actress yet she probably will be soon like she'll probably have a fucking um logie award which is like australia's emmys like she's just fucking everywhere and she's kind of like i would sort of like describe her as like amber rose during the slut walk era you know like you know we're sluts and like we're proud of it like she's very much like that like she'll go on her podcast and um 
She's toned it down a little bit now because she's gone so mainstream. But like when she first got out of The Bachelor, she was like, I taught the girls in The Bachelor Mansion how to have anal sex. I brought dildos into the mansion and was showing them like um, how to stretch out their holes. Like literally that's what she was saying. Like it was out of control. Like um, I never use lube unless I'm doing anal. Like she was <laughs> so disgusting and like just beyond out of control so she's kind of like amber rose slut walk era mixed with like jamila jamil because she's very political as well and she's always going on about you know like i hate conservatives and you know it's she's so fucking obnoxious and as one of her many many brand deals because she has like a million of them she released this line of vibrators And I don't know why, because I always wrote snarky stories about her. I was never that positive about her. I was always like a bit of a bitch. And I would write all, write up all the slutty things that she would say, um, on podcasts. And then, you know, all the comments would be like, she's disgusting. Like get an ST, you know, STI test. But for some reason, I don't know if it was an accident or an oversight, I got sent one of her vibrators as part of like, the media rollout for the vibrator line and I was on the PR list and you know I remember getting it unexpectedly I was like oh my god I got the Abby Chatfield vibrator I think I even posted it on Instagram at the time and then I've just like kept it as a fun memento it's been in my bathroom for ages and it comes in this um orange silk bag it's like bright orange it's really ugly like and it's a weird shape because it's obviously designed for women like i remember when abby made it she's like no you can anyone can use it it's it's pansexual you can like put it in any hole and it'll like pleasure you but like it's obviously for women and you know i don't know how the women's anatomy works properly so i don't know maybe it works on you guys but it's a odd shape but i just always kind of kept it as a joke and then when I was like packing all of my stuff, I was going through my bathroom and then, you know, I found it in there. I was like, I have to take the Abby Chatfield vibrator. You know, it's a little piece of home. It's very kind of like iconically Australian because she's just such a big Australian name. I just thought it's funny. And I'm like, yep, let me take it. So the morning of my flight, we're talking about me being hours from going through luggage. Uh, my, you know, friend is helping me lock up the luggage and it's fully vibrating. And it also like, you know, with vibrators, how they'll have different speeds. Like you've, you've got the normal one that's just like, but then you've got ones that's like, (laughs) it's like, does like different tempos. It has like that. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, he, th- I was like, my friend's going to think that I was like bringing this to be fucking like using it in the fucking bathroom on the flight or something. And then I was like, oh my God. So I'm like pulling it out. And then like, I haven't really used it. So I don't, I didn't really know how to turn it off. And I'm like trying to, t- I'm like, I didn't even understand how it turned on. Like, I don't even know how it happened. And then like, I had to like give it to him because, you know, he just knows how to do everything. And he was able to turn it off. And then he was like, 
you know, just take it in your carry-on or something. Instead, I'm like, fuck no. And I'm like, I'm throwing it out. I'm like, I'm not going to risk being one of those like New York Post stories of woman mortified as security find her vibrator on the flight. I'm like, that's not going to be me, bitch. And he was like, don't throw it out. And then like his boyfriend lives there too. And the boyfriend was upstairs. I'm like, I have to get rid of this. I'm like, I don't want your boyfriend to come down, like see me with this vibrator. And he's like, oh, he'll think it's funny. And I'm like, no. So I put it in the trash and I hope it was thrown out forever. And um, yeah, can you imagine if I was going through security and that started happening? Like, because you've got to check it in, the, you know, you check it in where they weigh the baggage and they put it on the little conveyor belt. And my friend didn't have to do that much when he was locking up the suitcase to like hit whatever the button was to turn it on. So I feel like very easily it could have done that. Or what about when I was in the Uber? When I'm in my Uber going there, when the driver's helping me pack the suitcase and then suddenly it's vibrating there in front of the Uber driver. Like, there are just so many mortifying things that could have happened. I feel like God intervened to make sure that out of all the times it was going to vibrate, it was at least in front of, you know, one of my friends that I used to live with. Although I will say, I never talked about my personal life in front, even though we're friends and he's, you know, ex-housemate, I never talked about like my dating life or anything, mostly because when we first started living together, I told him about this guy that I was like obsessed with that used to live in my area that I was, I basically like used to like stalk this guy, (laughs) but like, it was just kind of like, it was like tongue in cheek at that point. Cause this guy had like no interest in me. It was like funny that I was so desperate for him. So I kind of like told, told my friend, um, kind of like as a joke about it. And then he went and like added the guy on Facebook and everything. And I was like, I'm never telling you anything about my dating life or anything again. So I don't know, very embarrassing. So I flew Air New Zealand um, and it was the weekend of the Eras tour, like I said. And the first part of my flight was a stopover in Auckland before I got to New York. And um, there were a lot of Kiwis on there that had actually come over from New Zealand for the Melbourne Taylor Swift concert. And then they were flying back to New Zealand. And, you know, I was around a lot of them and they have such a, like Swifties, they have such a Bravo con vibe to them, but younger. It's like, they all look like the girls that are going to end up going to Bravo con. And I saw some footage, like, this isn't just anecdotally me on the flight, although this checked out, but I also saw footage from, like, the concerts in Australia, and I kind of can't believe how many white women, white, white girls of a particular age, especially blondes, are obsessed with Taylor Swift, and there's sort of, like, there's kind of a stereotype about Taylor Swift that, like, only white people like her. And I've seen, like, Beyonce fans being like, you know, Taylor, you know, she's not relevant outside of America, um, which is not true. Like, Taylor's huge worldwide. But they would sort of try to chalk her down as, like, she's just a white artist, whereas, you know, like... Beyonce or some of these other girls are like more diverse and appeal to everyone. And I always thought that was bullshit, but it was shocking seeing all the fans because it was like, I just couldn't believe how many white, white girls though. Like just, I've never seen that many white people. Like it literally was like a fucking clan rally. It was like a Nazi rally because they were all like blonde, blue eyes. Like they all looked the same, like identical. 
I thought there would be more gay guys. Like, obviously, there were guys there, but it was just all women. I'm like, wow, she she has, like, a cult of female fans, and they do seem cultish because they wear the, the bracelets. I actually talked about this on the last Patreon I did. The last Patreon I did before I flew out, um, I did do a lot on Taylor, and, yeah, they all make these bracelets with her lyrics and they wear like tons of them and they come and swap them with each other. And it's, it's a little creepy and seeing them all there together. Yeah. It's, I'm glad I don't have to date them. And sometimes they get Swifties in my DMs and they look all, all fans of people are kind of weird. Like people that are in hardcore fandoms, like the Bravo fandom, whatever the fandoms are, like they're all a little cooked because they just have sort of an unhealthy fixation on kind of like this one subject. But some of the messages that I get from Swifties, they don't understand that they sound crazy and they look crazy. And I'm glad that I don't need to date that. Like, I'm glad that I'm not straight and of a particular age. And then I have to like go on a date with the chick. And then I find out she's like obsessed with Taylor Swift. Oh, Oh my god, it makes me sick. Um, I'll tell you more about my New York adventures on Patreon. I will do a Patreon this week, and I'll give you just you know tell you about my first week and just how things have been going and all the tea on that. Um, it's just I've been, you know, I wanted to do this episode that I'm recording right now for you guys. This was supposed to be out last week, and then it just got so hectic with packing, and then I've been here trying to settle in, and I've just been a little bit all over the place, and the the jet lag and I got thrown pretty much straight into work. So I've come home every day wanting to do this podcast and I just haven't sort of had the energy and it's really taken me a few days to adjust, but I'm excited to kind of get things back on track and back on um, schedule. I have a few music things that I want to talk about though. And some of these topics are like a little bit old because I have had them kind of sitting here in my notes up for a while, but I wanted to talk about them. So the first thing, with Usher's Super Bowl halftime show, right, when that was going on sort of before and after, I noticed all of these, like, tweets and Instagram posts from millennials, and I'm a millennial, and they're all, like, talking about how old they are and how they were, like, you know, reliving their youth via Usher's yeah, and it was a lot of, like, shut up, Gen Z, like, this is for us old, decrepit millennials, Ushers for us oldies, us golden girls, us old ass millennials. And I'm like, speak for yourself. Like, I don't feel that old, actually. And I still listen to, like, new young artists. Like, I listen to Usher as well. Like, I love Usher. I listen to old artists. I listen to artists before my time. But I still keep up with, like, the new shit coming out. Like, I'm not here, like, perched just to watch, you know, a millennial legacy act and feeling like... I'm reliving my glory days. I still feel like I have plenty of glory days to come. And I hate this millennial mindset of, we're so fucking old now. We're so old. Like, yeah, it's true. We're not like 19 anymore, but we're not fucking old. Like, if my parents were looking at the age that I am now, they'd be like, oh my God, that's so young. And if I thought about my parents at my age, I'd be like, that's really young. And I guess... If you're a millennial and maybe, you know, okay, so you've got like a few kids by now and married, you maybe you do feel old and you think back to your party days, but that's on you. Like, 
I'm open-minded to new things. I still check out, like, the new social media and shit that comes out. You know, I was never someone that was like, TikTok's so stupid, I'm not going to use that. I was like, oh, that's interesting. All these people are on TikTok. Like, let me see what this is about. Like, I'm not the old man shaking my fist at, like, the new things coming out. Like, I still listen to the new pop girls and see what's up and get into it. So, enough with the, like fucking depressing ass millennials i think it's more of a heterosexual thing too because it was like yeah it was definitely a lot of like millennial women especially we're so old ushers for us it's like okay we'll go be old like i am actually feel very young and now i feel like i'm starting like a whole new fun thing and i have all these like you know new fun friends like you know i met up with jess from hot takes and deep dives the other night at like this fun Vietnamese place, and I'm like, yeah, you guys can go be old in the nursing home at, like, 35, and I'll go out and, like, have a good time and, like, get some shit done, so bye. And speaking of the Super Bowl and also kind of the Grammys, it was crazy, but not surprising, just how few people spoke up about, like, Gaza and the Palestinians. I think it was at the Grammys, it was Annie Lennox, who's, like, Scottish, And there were a few others, but they were more niche artists, a few, like, indie girls, but no one that is, like, household name was, you know, coming there with, um, you know, pins or statements, and you've got all these protesters outside on the street, and then the celebrities are inside ignoring them and partying away, which is fine. Again, I'm not saying, like, everyone has to speak on every political issue because it's actually very annoying when celebrities are activists and I wish in general they would do less of it but I was just like after all the fucking years of celebrity activism that we've had like these woke liberal fucking celebrities who have made politics and social justice literally like part of their fucking branding for years non-stop And now we have what is arguably the worst situation of our lifetime, worse than anything else that these dumbass celebrities have been campaigning for in the last few years. And now you don't say shit because you don't want to, like, piss off certain people and lose some jobs. Like, to me, it just showed how fucking fake the whole celebrity activist complex is. Like, it's just all such bullshit. And it's not even about, like... They should be on the right side of history. Like, obviously, they should be, but fucking whatever. People can take whatever side on whatever issue they want. It's just, like, cowardly because it just shows how, like, they will only get political on topics that will benefit their career and that are, like, socially trendy. And, yes, it is socially trendy to be pro-Palestine, especially amongst younger people, right? You know, there's a whole thing about, like, we have to ban TikTok because... They're seeing Israel's war crimes, so let's ban it so no one knows what's actually happening. But just because it's trendy amongst them, it's still not trendy in the industry. Like, you can still lose jobs as, like, you know, Susan Sarandon and uh, Melissa Barrera and other people have. And they don't want to risk anything. And it's like, okay, so you guys shoved BLM, transgender, madness, vaccines, Ukraine, You shoved all of that down our throats, and then when it comes to this, suddenly you are all clamming up, and you're just, like, partying away, and, whoa, we're at the Super Bowl, we're at the Grammys, and, like, acting like what's happening isn't happening. Like, a couple years ago, A-listers were trying to get Zelensky to, like, appear at the Oscars and shit. So, it's, like, really, you had to fucking 
shove Zelensky up my fucking ass for years and now you don't say anything about this. And I actually even looked up because I wanted to compare it, right, to um, the Iraq war. So I was like, you know, how many people were speaking up about that? Because one of my earliest memories was, um, and this was sort of an example of people in Australia thinking like, oh my God, Americans are like crazy, was when the Dixie Chicks spoke out and then there was that backlash and people were like burning their CDs and stuff because they said that they didn't support Bush and the war. So I always remembered that. And then I went back and I'm like, how many celebrities really were like against the war? And even as early as, like, 2002, there were heaps of, like, A-listers that were against it, that were, like, signing things, that were speaking out, that were saying, don't go to war, you know, America doesn't need to be in another war. And, of course, you know, they were ignored and they went to war. But, like, people even spoke about it then in the wake of 9-11. But then when it comes to Israel, they're all fucking chicken shit because they've seen, you know, Susan Sarandon and other people being, you know, punished professionally and... You know, they don't want to not get invited to a certain party or to lose, like, a certain management deal. And I'm just like, yeah, such fucking liars. Um, the silence just shows just how fake the whole thing is. Um, there's really only a small amount of celebrities that I think, like, stand in their truth and don't really give a fuck and will take a hit professionally. Like, Susan Sarandon, definitely. Roseanne, for sure. Um even like Michael Rappaport, who I think is disgusting, but, and I had to unfollow him because he's so evil, but, you know, he'll say what he wants to say. And he doesn't give a fuck what people say back at him. Like he's going to stand in his truth, but it's like a very small amount of people will actually like put their necks out there and say something that's like genuinely risky. Cause it's not risky to be like BLM. It's not risky to be like, you know, wave a Ukraine flag. It's not risky to be like, um, you know, we love transgender or whatever. Love is love. But then saying this, it is. And it was kind of gross looking at the Super Bowl, especially like Taylor Swift making her, you know, her very calculated spectacle of her romantic life. There, It just felt black mirror seeing everyone there with exactly what, started happening on the day of the Super Bowl, which I won't get into. So, really gross. And um, it is funny, too, because since getting out of Australia, I've been so busy just getting settled into work and the flight and just all of it that not only am I not watching my usual TV shows, but I haven't really been watching the news or, you know, politics. And that includes like the Gaza massacre, which I was following very, very closely ever since October. And I was following sort of every little thing about it. And then you realize how quickly you can just become removed from things that are happening. Like even with the Bravo shows, like I haven't seen any Bravo in a week or so, which doesn't seem like that long, but usually I would have had like even when I'm working, I would have just, like, put something on the background because I would have been like, oh, shit, I've got my Patreon to do. Let me, like, put this on so I can, like, make some notes to talk about it, whatever. And I haven't really been looking at anything, and I don't miss it. It's like I don't even – I feel like it, it, Bravo right now, like, kind of, like, doesn't even exist to me because I haven't had to write about it. I haven't done a Patreon. I haven't watched any of the episodes, and it's like I don't even miss it. It's just a thing that's there. 
And then with the Gaza thing as well, I'm like, wow, like, you know, I've been so invested in it and it's, you know, things are getting worse and worse all the time, but it's so easy if you just like, don't look at it to feel like it's not even happening. Cause not to do like the whole, you know, white privilege thing, but like we are very privileged where we are and it's very easy to just not look at certain things. And I get people that message me and they just send me the most ignorant, dumb shit. And I know that it's coming from a place of them not really being informed on stuff. Um, and it gets under my skin a little bit because I want to like slap them across the face when they send me something that's like, you know, being debunked or whatever, like weeks ago. It's like, really, you're fucking sending me this. But I get where they're coming from because it was just so, so fucking easy for me to just get back into like a little bubble and just be thinking about, you know, moving and worrying about myself and my own shit. And then to like be completely ignorant to like these horrors. And it's not like you have to pay attention to everything that's going on. Like, in fact, you shouldn't because a lot of it's a waste of time. But like some things are just at such a scale, you're kind of complicit to like not be. Ignorance isn't always bliss. Sometimes it's just complicity when it's slapping you in your face and you're just purposely not looking. Um, Also with the Super Bowl, Beyonce's comeback happened. Now she's a country artist, you guys. She's a country artist. And this means that we're going to be subjected to months, if not years, of hearing um, woke Americans tell us that black people invented all country music. There's this obsession with a certain segment of progressives to just claim that, like, black trans women are responsible for everything in history. You know, all art, all culture, all political progress is, like, due to black trans women and, you know, black people in general invented everything. Um, So now black people solely created country music. It wasn't, you know, a combination of different forms of music. No, just it's going to be all black people because Beyonce's reclaiming the genre. She's reclaiming her time doing a country record, you know, for her last album, uh, Renaissance. She supposedly invented dance and ballroom music and was a gay icon despite literally being the most heteronormative artist to ever exist. I've talked about this before on the pod. Like, you literally cannot get more straighter and conservative than Beyonce if you look at her, um, like, her marriage and her upbringing and just, like, everything about her is so fucking hetero. And then for an album concept, she's like, I'm a gay icon and her connection to the gay community and this, like, ballroom genre. I mean, it was just a fucking dance record, but it just sounds trendier to be like, she made a ballroom record of underground trannies voguing because, you know, they had to fight the oppression and they all had AIDS, so they had to party together. Um, She has this, like, gay uncle that materialised out of thin fucking air that we'd never heard of before. Suddenly it was, my gay uncle inspired me to do this. Okay, girl. Now with her country era, it's like, Duh, she's from Texas. Of course she knows country music. Like, they'll just find any connection to credit Beyonce for everything, even though she's the biggest fucking plagiarizer in the industry, period. Like, she's also, to give her credit, she is more talented than, like, most of the girls as well. So it's like, on one hand, she is more talented, but she's also 
one of the biggest thieves. Um, I was not a big fan of Renaissance at all. Like, I hate to break my soul. I just thought it was like the most tired Robin S. ass show me love, like house sample that's been done a million times. And that song was just to get Beyonce back on the charts. I think, again, people really bought into the narrative of, you know, her embracing like, you know, gay mu- music. Like, I remember the reviews for the album was like, um, Beyonce celebrates queer liberation and um, the only safe space for us is doing crystal meth on the dance floor and getting fisted in a, the toilets of a gay club. Like, it was just the most ridiculous fucking articles and hoopla around the album. And it was just a fucking generic ass dance record to get back on the charts because she didn't have that many hits for a really long time. The thing with Beyonce is that, like, her as just, like, a pop culture icon and just Beyonce is actually, like, bigger than her music. Like, she had an incredible run of, like, hit after hit, like, you know, back in the day with, like, Crazy Love and Single Ladies and Halo and um, what are some of the others? Irreplaceable, like, all those, like, radio hits. And then she started flopping when she released the album 4, when she did Who Run The World Girls, which actually kind of was a flop of a song, but it was just more like a meme. Like, it was more successful as, like, a meme and a catchphrase than actually as a song, and then nothing else on that album took off. And then it was a bit like, oh, is she, you know, has she hit her sort of flop era, which happens with most pop stars. They can bang out, like, maybe three really big albums, and then you get to around album number four and you start to sort of, like, dip. Like, it happened to Katy Perry with Witness, She hasn't recovered from that. Like, just very normal. It's very hard to stay relevant as a pop star. But Beyonce or whoever does her marketing or a combination of both, you know, I don't know who the brains, you know, behind Beyonce is, but they did this amazing reinvention of her as with the visual album and then the Lemonade. And she suddenly was an albums artist. She's an albums artist. She makes a body of work. She doesn't have singles because back in the day you would really judge – uh, especially a pop star, you'd really judge them by how high their single would chart. Um, and it was before we'd fully kind of transitioned into streaming, where I think that the charts are very different now. And it's not about like, what number did you debut at? Like, it's just so different now. But she turned herself into this album's artist. So no one really had to look at the singles. And you know, granted, she has sold a lot of albums and it really worked and she pulled it off. But she didn't really have any hits. And some of the songs did well in America still, more um, the urban stuff, but that stuff doesn't translate as much internationally because, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of, like, hip-hop and R&B and everything, but a lot of places outside of America aren't. Like, you do need to be more on, like, the pop side um, to get those hits. And then she had, like, barely had any real hits in, like, a decade. Like, if you check her if you look at her discography and you look at where the songs charted and stuff, like, there was barely anything. Like, even songs like Drunk in Love, a lot of people in America would probably go, oh, yeah, I love that song. But, like, if you asked people outside of America, like, some of those songs, like, they wouldn't know what the fuck you're talking about. They'd be like, what? Like, what's Partition? Like, no no one would know what the fuck any of that shit is. So, she has this dance record to, like, have a comeback. And um, I thought it was corny. I thought that the lyrics on the album were corny. It all sounded like drag race rejects 
thick with a Q, like very cringe. I know that Beyonce has like no connection to that world at all. So it was fake. Like the Troy Sivan record was like fun and good because it's like, okay, he's like this gay twink and he's like living this lifestyle and exploring different parts of it. But then, you know, to have Beyonce who's been married for like 25 years and grew up in conservative Texas to like an upper class family now suddenly want to be like voguing with the with the HIV trans girls in like 1981. It's like, no girl, like you don't understand this world. Like what what the fuck are you talking about? And I actually didn't even really listen to the album because like when I heard Break My Soul, I was like, oh my God, is this really like what she's dishing up now? How embarrassing. But I heard one of the songs called America's Got a Problem, which is actually really good. Like that song's kind of like, that's probably the most urban song on there, has Kendrick Lamar on it. That's really good. And I heard that, I was like, oh, am I missing out on Renaissance? Like maybe it's low key, like good. And I was just being a hater. So then I listened to the whole album after hearing America Has a Problem a few months ago, and I was like, oh, no, this is actually, yeah, this is really bad. Like, America Has a Problem is, like, the only cool song on, like, this whole record. So, anyway, now she's back as a country artist. She has two country songs. Um, One's called Texas Hold'em. The other is 16 Carriages. And there's this, like, really annoying debate now about whether or not it's like really country. Like they're obviously country songs. Like shut up. I will I will grant her that as much as her fans, and I know that they're doing this because I've seen it on social media, are uh, fabricating a campaign of like um, you know, racism against her because she's not being embraced by the country community. Like there is a little bit of that. I don't think it's all racism. I think a lot of it is literally just music snobbery, but I certainly think some of it is racially motivated because I even saw comments on some of the conservative pages about like Usher performing at the Super Bowl. And um, they seem they seem to be a little like racial undercurrents to them. And it's like, dude, Usher is like an iconic legacy artist that's been He's not only super fucking talented, but he's had really great songs for, like, decades now. Like, why the fuck wouldn't he be playing the Super Bowl? And, like, some of the comments were very questionable. So, there is a little bit of that, but there's also this um, overblown campaign to make it, you know, to create another race war around Beyonce. One of the, the best examples of it is this story that went viral about a country music station that didn't want to play Texas Hold'em. And it was like, country music refuses to play Beyonce's country record. And literally what happened was the songs had been out for like three hours and one of the, you know, beehives um, emailed a, some country station in some like small town or wherever and was like, you have to play Beyonce. And they were like, we don't play Beyonce, we're a country station because they didn't even know Beyonce had a country songs out like not everyone's life revolves around beyonce especially if you're in like the country music world do you think they give a fuck about what music beyonce is putting out especially when it's only been a few hours and then that email went viral and it was like oh they're refusing to play it because it's beyonce it's like no they just didn't even know she had a country song out they assumed that you're requesting like a r&b song or like break my soul or whatever it's like why would we play break my soul on like country 105 fm in kansas like it's ridiculous um but they are clearly country records you can say they're pop country or they're like fusion or whatever but they're country songs so i don't really want to hear this 
annoying music snob debate to act like they're not country songs. So Texas Hold'em, I don't like that one. I think it's pretty bad. Like, it's catchy, but I find it in an, in an annoying way. And, like, it's about nothing. It's just... There's like a generic song about like going out. There's nothing to it. The cover art is really funny because Beyonce is just like naked. She's like naked in this tiny little metal bikini. And it's like pop stars cannot help themselves when it comes to just slutting themselves up for an album campaign. Like it doesn't matter what the genre of music is. It can be like a heartbreaking ballad. And it's like, I'm going to be naked on a wrecking ball. Like... Because that's all they do is sell sex. I'm not saying that in, like, a conservatard way of, like, put some clothes on. But it's, like, literally that's, like, what pop music is. Like, period. Like, you're just selling sex to people. So, you know, every pop star does it. Even, like, Halsey, who kind of marketed herself. I guess she's sort of like the Avril Lavigne of, like, Gen Z. Because, you know, she's just a top 40 artist. But her, you know, image-wise, she sort of presents as like, you know, I'm alternative, kind of like how Avril Lavigne was like, I am punk, even though she's just like a top 40 girl. But Halsey has that alternative image. But then she's done these videos, like that song, How Can I Be Sad, where she's like naked, basically getting fucked in a barn. Like, it's like more sexual than Britney's I'm a slave for you. Like, Lady Gaga's done it. Like, every single pop star at some point is, like, gonna get naked. Like, Megan Trainer did, like, sexy dance videos. Like, they all do it. It's just so unoriginal. But, yeah, Beyonce's naked on the cover. She looked amazing, by the way. Like, she looked fucking stunning. It was just, like, funny. Like, oh, okay, you're not actually gonna... You're not gonna wear some, like, I don't know, chaps and a flannel shirt. We're, we're, we're just naked in a cowboy hat. The other song, 16 Carriages, is actually fucking amazing, and I'm not even a Beyonce fan. And I actually think it's one of her best singles. It's so good. The production's incredible because it kind of has some soul and some gospel in there. But then with the real country production, Beyonce has a beautiful voice. So she sounds fantastic on the record. And lyrically, you can really connect with Beyonce on this because the whole song is about her being a workaholic and missing out on life. And that's the realest thing she's probably ever recorded because that's actually her. Like, one reason I've never been a Beyonce fan, um, outside of the fact that she is kind of uh, overrated, is that she's so, like, boring. She's just like a boring, empty robot. Like, she doesn't do interviews because she doesn't have a personality. She's not articulate. She's not funny. She's, like, very beautiful, but, like, very boring, kind of like a um, beauty pageant contestant like there's nothing there and because her team is so brilliant with her marketing like her marketing really is incredible like i was saying before with um how the four record flopped that she did so then she sort of reinvented herself i'm an albums artist i have a visual album now it's lemonade and just the way that they're able to um hold her personal life back and then put it into the music as a way to market the music of like, it's like very Kardashian-esque of like, if you want the real story of like what happened with this scandal, tune into our show. Like that's what Beyonce does. Like if you want to know about my engagement, listen to single ladies. If you want to know about Jay cheating on me, listen to um Lemonade. Like so that's what she does. And with her being so fucking boring and having no personality and like being really quite charmless, they just pulled her back from really doing 
any press. She didn't even do social media for a long time because she thought she was too good to be on social media. Like, she wouldn't go on Instagram or anything for years. Um, because it was like, Beyonce's above this. And they were able to like, kind of like pull it off. And then be like, oh, she's so mysterious. They created this, like, mystique around her. Like, she's so unattainable. She's so mysterious. Like, you know, she's not all over the place like Katy Perry and these other cheap pop stars. And it's like, it's literally just because if people had to listen to her do as much press as, you know, a Katy Perry or any of these other, like, you know, fun artists, like, they'll just be like, wow, she's actually, like, really boring. And people wouldn't like her as much. Um and this song feels so real um, with the subject matter and how she's talking about it. I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm getting to understand a little bit of who this, who she is as a human being. I'm actually seeing her as a human being for once because um, so many of her other, like, personal songs are just, you know, she's not about that life. Like I said, with the queer stuff or... Um, what else did she do? Oh, yeah, when she tries to go, like, hood and she talks about, like, getting fucked in Red Lobster and stuff, it's like, again, girl, you grew up, like, with money in, like, conservative Texas and you were, like, married off at, like, 17 or something. Like, you are not going out, like, getting fucked in Red Lobster with, like, you know, guys from the hood. Like, that's- you're not about that life. Like, you're about the Gwyneth Paltrow life. Like, you're literally, like, Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, what are you talking about? Um, You're not voguing with trannies. Like, stop. So, I just think it's such a good song. Of course, it's kind of, like, flopping compared to Texas Hold'em. I don't know why people need to reward the worst of Beyonce. Like, the best Beyonce songs are, like, Countdown, which is incredible. Um, Party. Um, now 16 carriages, all of her best records, like, don't get that much recognition. And then just, like, the dumb shit, like, irreplaceable and, like, break my souls, like, record-breaking number one. Very annoying, but whatever. I think the album will be good. I think it'll be better than Renaissance and, uh, yeah, she's very talented, so good for her. I'm looking forward to going to a lot of uh, pop concerts now that I'm in the US. Actually, just a lot of concerts in general, not just pop, um, and seeing good music. But there's just so many people touring here. Um, I really want to go to Justin Timberlake because I've seen him seen him three times and his concerts really are so good. And, you know, the amount of hate that he gets, so funny. But if you've been to his concerts, they're really great. And it's not just, like, him, even though he's a really, really great, like, seasoned, very talented performer, but he has a really, really good uh, band. Like, the 2020 Experience Tour, when he had all the the band from, like, Tennessee, th- th- so good. Um, and you know what? And actually, people drag me for saying this because I've just dragged Beyonce, but I really want to go to the J-Lo Tour. And by the way, I understand she has bad music like i don't think that she makes good music but um i think she's ridiculous and i actually would like to do a j-lo episode about her new movie that i watched on the plane her musical movie so i'm trying to get that going but i'll just see if i with time i don't know my schedule's all over the place but you can say whatever you want about j-lo and it's all true she's not the best singer she has really terrible cheap music most of the time she's a bad actress um, 
she's sort of more famous than she is talented in many ways, but she is a talent and she's a really good performer and she doesn't really get the credit for being a good performer, which is crazy because I feel like Beyonce get Beyonce gets too much credit for her performances. Like I was watching some of the Renaissance tour and it's like, I'm not going to say it's a bad tour because then I'll just be a hater. But like, I mean, if you think that's the best performer of the generation, that's just honestly sad. If you think what she was doing on the Renaissance tour is the best thing you've ever seen. Um, Britney Spears has been completely overrated as a performer. Like, people have built up Britney Spears as this mythical queen that was, like, you know, the female Michael Jackson. It's like, no, Janet Jackson is actually the female Michael Jackson. And Britney Spears, most of her performances, she just got by because she was so hot. She was, like, the hottest, like, babe with, like, so much star power. Like, her choreography is, like, not that good. Like, there's a few performances you can find where it's like, okay, like, yeah, there's pretty good routine that she did and yes she has x factor and yes she's a good performer beyonce is also a good performer but they're not like they're not nearly as good as you guys make them out to be and then j-lo people don't give her that much credit and j-lo is like better than like most of these girls certainly better than britney spears by like miles and i saw j-lo's uh tour when she had her um when she did all those trash pitbull songs like, dance again and, like, on the floor. She did a world tour off the back of that, and it was the first tour she had ever done. And again, I admit that most of her music is, like, pretty bad, except for all of the uh, all the hip-hop remixes she did, like, the I'm Real remix and, like, Ain't It Funny remix. Like, that was good. But she has a lot of really bad songs, but she fucking killed the concert that I saw. Like, she was so good. Like, she's an amazing dancer. She has so much like charisma and like sex appeal that's another thing with beyonce beyonce for as beautiful as she is she just does not have sex appeal like she can be dancing around a fucking thong which she does half the time and she just she just comes off like asexual i think because she's such a performer there's just no sexuality to anything. Whereas J-Lo really, I don't know if it's just like the Latin sexiness, but like J-Lo can sell sex for as like perfect and A-list as she is. So I definitely would like to see her. And I want to go to um this Lovers and Friends Festival in Vegas um, because like an old ass millennial, like all the Usher stands, we're so old now. It's got like... um. TLC, Mary J. Blige, who, like, those those artists never come to Australia. Keisha Cole, I'm, like, the hugest Keisha Cole fan, like, hardcore Keisha Cole fan. She's going to be there. Janet Jackson's there. I have seen Janet before, but Janet's one of my all-time, so I would be happy to see her again and watch her shuffling around to the If Dance. Brandy's there, Robin Thicke. Ja Rule and Ashanti, Amory, like, I have to go to that. So, very excited to see some music while I'm here. Anyway, guys, thank you for listening. Sorry this was late, but back in the swing of things now. I will drop a Patreon this week with, um, you know, more about my time in New York. And make sure you're following me on Instagram at unpopularjp. And, yes, I will see you all soon with some new episodes. Bye, guys. (laughs) 